Morning, church. Just a moment. We're going to talk about uh, giving up on relationships. And the truth is, God has said something. And he continues to speak to each of us about relationships. With me this morning is Kylene Flores. Can you say hi to Kylene? I really thought it was important that having heard from Chris, his side of the story, we also take a moment and hear the other side of the story because there's always two sides to the story, isn't there? Yeah. And this is a story of grace and this is a story of forgiveness, uh, but this is a story of imperfection and brokenness and a journey that's still underway. That's what excites me. I hope you get to know this couple. They're cool. Plus, they're neighbors with the thickets, so that makes them even cooler. I think it makes the thickets cooler, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. Good. Well, Kylene, uh, just tell us a little bit about you. You're a local girl, and uh, we've heard Chris's story about growing up in Plymouth and uh, all that kind of stuff. Just take a minute or two and... Yeah, so I also grew up in Plymouth. I met Chris in high school. Um, that's where it kind of all began. I currently, uh, we live here in Sheboygan. Um, we have two children, um, Dominic and Adriana. And um, locally, I'm, I'm a nurse here in Sheboygan. Yeah, yeah. That's the... Real high overview, right? Very high overview. So let's roll the clock back just a little bit. Uh, you, what attracted you to Chris? I mean, this guy is just like. Yeah, I'm not. I haven't ever really figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> still working on that. Uh, um, you know, I, I don't know, honestly. I think that I've always seen something in him beyond what I could probably explain um, because it wasn't somebody that I normally probably would have gone after um, but uh, he is an amazing person with a great heart and soul and um, has become an awesome leader now but looking back it hasn't always been that way yeah yeah and you went through these years of Chris getting arrested Chris fighting with his fists and coming in all busted and having busted somebody else. Um, in high school, how did you stay in the relationship uh, knowing he was doing all that kind of thing? Again, I, I can't explain that outside of God, quite honestly, because I think that even then, and at that point, I didn't even have a relationship with God, but um, growing up, I had my parents were married through my high school years, but didn't have a true relationship with one another. And oftentimes we would hear things like, you know, I'm only staying with your dad until, you know, you graduate, those type of things. And I thought I always, you know, wanted to fight for something more than that. Um, we had Dominic in high school. Um, so at that point, I was already fighting for my family. And um, 
So I think that put a level of maturity in me that I don't think I otherwise would have had, um, which then allowed me to fight a little bit stronger for the family that I, I so desired that I didn't get to see growing up. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to make clarify this point. Uh, you partied hard with Chris. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't perfect either. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else you want to display? <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so the two of you had this lifestyle uh, together. Yeah. Uh, and, and that took you through high school. Then what happens when, when he's getting arrested? What do you think when he's going to jail? What did you tell him? How did you begin the process of even forgiving him? Well, interesting, because we actually just kind of had that conversation this morning, really before even coming here, because I, um, one of my parents is just a stickler on forgiveness in a way that they project that they are forgiving but they're not and um, harbor a lot of things and I always in fact after all of the events that took place when I went to counseling I actually learned this about myself which I didn't know prior but I I would forgive so quickly or thought I would forgive so quickly just to kind of sweep things under the rug to move on Um, and Yet I never really dealt with the heart of the matter or the issue that was what I needed to forgive. Um, So I think it just came naturally to me, like, this is just what I'm supposed to do. This is what I need to do. I just need to forgive, and we need to move forward. Because, you know, there's no point in staying in the back. We can't, you know, look at the past. We just need to continue to move forward. Years later, I figured out all of that. Forgiveness, I thought I was giving, really wasn't forgiveness at all, and it was just a way for me to kind of deal with what we had on, you know, in the forefront and then moving forward. And I also struggled with pride. I mean, I, I didn't want people to see that level of hurt in me or that part of the struggle that I really did have. Um, so again, I just kind of tried to let it go and, and move forward. And so meeting Jesus, how did that impact your relationship with Chris? Well, in the beginning, I thought in a great big way, you know, I, I probably at that point felt the most secure in our relationship because I felt like he had um, a true father figure that could show him what it was like to... Um, live a life as a father and to live a life as a husband and to not desire what the world had and I just felt a level of confidence in that that I had previously been able to experience and when Jesus came in your life everything just came to it was perfect after that sure <laughs> no not at all um, that obviously hasn't been our story as you've heard um in fact, there are days where I feel like it's almost more difficult because you have to deal with a lot of the junk that you otherwise, again, could just kind of sweep under the rug and push past and move forward. Um, but, you know, God has a crazy sense of humor. And in my, um, in my life, it's played out in such a way that he's 
had to really um, take my broken moments and, and create something out of it with me probably kicking and screaming more than, more than what I would like to admit. Mm-hmm. So, in coming to the Lord, uh, it almost compounded some things. And, and then we, we kind of fast forward to what Chris was telling us. And, and he's with another woman. And uh, how do you handle that as a woman? How do you forgive in that kind of scenario? Uh, well, I'm still working on forgiving, if I'm honest. Um, you know, Scripture calls us to forgive as, as He has forgiven us. And, and I think that's true. I think the, the Scripture, though, to me, means something more that there's going to be a completion to that forgiveness. There's going to be a wholeness. You're going to be restored if you're allowing God to be a part of that. But I don't think that although God graciously forgives us immediately um, and keeps no record of wrongs, I don't think that that's what that scripture is telling us. I think that, again, that scripture comes out in completion, um, but I don't forgive and I haven't forgiven overnight. Um, and there's still areas of unforgiveness that I hold on to and that I'm working through. And I probably will for, you know, a long time. I, you know, there's, when I look back, I mean, I had to forgive on so many levels. Like, you think, okay, there was just an affair. But there was forgiveness of myself for not recognizing, you know, warning signs or not humbling myself before coming to this place. Um... There's forgiveness um, of Chris from a father's perspective. So me as my mo- as a mother and protecting my children and having to forgive the image that was just created for my children as to what a family is supposed to look like, what God looks like, um, you know, financially. I had to forgive um, for the financial burden that it's created. I had to forgive the insecurities. Um, you know, and, and when it happens time and time again, those insecurities are constantly being built upon. Um, so it's not something that you're, you know, it's broken down overnight. That's really honest. I, are you, I hear you saying in a couple of things, uh, forgiveness is a choice. You had to choose to forgive. Absolutely. And once that is started, it's a process Absolutely. and not necessarily an event. Is that true in your relationship with Chris now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think by the grace of God through all of this, um, we've been able to have probably a stronger connection in our marriage than we've ever had before. Um, And don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not saying, like, go out and make a mistake so that you can recreate, um, you know, a marriage. It's really... Being willing to humble yourself and to be vulnerable um, and, and to understand that we have to be forgiving on a daily basis. I have to choose to forgive on a daily basis. Chris has to choose to forgive me for my faults and my failures. Um, you know, although I recognize I didn't cause the incident, I also recognize that there were things that I too could have done better. Um, you know, my children have to choose to forgive. Um, the example that we've set for them. Um, and so there's a lot of, of choice, and, and it's it's a sacrifice. It, it's truly um, 
humbling yourself and being vulnerable. And for someone um, like me who had harbored a lot of pride, a lot more pride than I realized, um, forgiveness can be even more of a of a difficult thing to do. Yeah. One last thing. Uh, we can choose to forgive, but that doesn't necessarily mean we trust. And just talk a minute about that. How's that played out in your relationship with Chris? Um, trust is trust is an interesting thing. Um, I've had to learn to trust him again as a leader of my house, and that didn't come and hasn't come easily. Um, and we've had to, you know, I mean, we still have a ton of different things in place um, to help us with that. I mean, we still call each other. We still um, check in. We still ask questions. We still, um, you know, have a lot of trust issues. And and I would imagine that they'll be there for, for a while. Um, but again, I think a lot of it is just being willing to, to humble, to be open, to communicate. Um, and and then to have a passion or a desire to fight for something bigger than yourself because ultimately um, that's what it is. It goes beyond me. Yeah, yeah. Anything else, Kylie, you want to say to the women of this church that may be or have been or are going to be in that kind of situation? Any words of wisdom from what you've learned? Yeah, I mean, that's tough because I think we all have areas, whether you know, it be an affair or something else. We all have areas in our life that create insecurities and mistrust, and um, we have poor images of of who God is in our life, or um, as mothers, or whatever that be. Um, I guess my my main point is probably just just to. Allow God to walk alongside you and and fight with you because this isn't going to be something that happens overnight. You're going to fail. It's going to feel like hell on earth, literally. Um, and there are going to be days where you just doing anything but forgiving seems easier um, than the action of forgiving. But taking one day at a time and, and one moment at a time, quite honestly, at times. Um, and then finding community, finding people who are going to rally around you. Um, because there was a point in our separation that I actually just said, um, you know, I heard God tell me I could just let go. And I could, um, what I thought at that point meant that I was released from my marriage um, because of everything we were going through. Um, but at that time, I had people that I didn't even know who were fighting a fight for me that I no longer could fight for myself. And sometimes we just have to get to that point, not to say, well, I'm letting go, releasing myself from all responsibilities within my marriage or this relationship or whatever that be, but to, um, which really kind of hit me, and just a few, you know, a month ago or whenever we had the, the series of allowing God to fight for you, um, and, and that's what God was telling me in those moments. And, and it kind of came full circle, you know, years later for me, where I heard, oh, that, that's what God was saying. Um, and we do. We have, to, we have to let go. And, and you're not 
or at least I didn't know how to do that for myself because, again, I had a very prideful heart. And so I think uh, just trusting, trusting in God is good. That's really good advice. And I just want to say from my heart to yours, uh, you've said something, and thanks for not giving up. Thanks for fighting. I think you're a bold and courageous woman. I really do. Thank you, Kylie. We're talking about fighting for forgiveness. And just as a reminder, we're back to Hosea and Gomer. Uh, check out the screen. Hosea was a prophet who was told by God to marry a harlot named Gomer. At first, their marriage was lovely and productive. But soon, Hosea became distracted by work. And Gomer became distracted by other things. And before long, Goma bore another son, which looked suspiciously like the mailman. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay, uh, that's true. I, I love flannel graph kind of stuff. But, uh. Good. You mind if I stay down here? Sometimes I like get down here better than up there. Is that okay? Can you see? Okay, you can't see. We'll have to, I'll try moving around a little. Well, the theme, once again, of today's message and our sermon series these last couple of months comes from Nehemiah 4.14, and a very important passage of Scripture. Uh, let's see that. In fact, let's read that together, church, shall we? Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Wow. Remember the Lord and fight for your home. Fight for your home. Fight for what matters most is what we've been talking about. Last week, uh, we learned, and if you follow along with your sermon notes, that the Bible is not so much a religious book as it is a relationship manual. It's a relationship manual. So when you think of the Word of God, please uh, think of it in that context. This book was written so that we might have a relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus sent when He ascended into heaven. Do you have a relationship with God? Yeah. Yeah, I trust that you do. If you don't, uh, we'd be delighted to be able to share with you what the Bible says about having a relationship with God. But beyond that, the Bible is also a relationship manual when it comes to relationships with everyone else. Your spouse, your kids, your employer, your employees, your neighbors, uh, anybody else in your life. The Bible has principles in there that help us understand how we might live out the truth that God is alive. He wants a love relationship with us and he wants us to have that same kind of relationship with others. Okay? And so as we think about the Bible like that, uh, we understand that a key ingredient for successful relationships is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And I kind of see forgiveness as the oil that keeps any and every relationship running smoothly. And without forgiveness, it kind of freezes up, seizes up, kind of bogs down. And we've heard an illustration of that 
uh, from Kylene this morning. And last week we looked at how God fights for forgiveness with us. And he used the example of a couple named Hosea and Gomer. Hosea and Gomer. That is a book in the Bible, the Minor Prophets. Hosea is the guy. And Gomer is the unfortunate woman who is stuck with a really nasty kind of name, Gomer. Okay, uh, What's happening in this time? Well, it's 760 years uh, before the birth of Jesus. And he is a prophet to the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. They were enjoying a season of unprecedented prosperity. And because of that prosperity, spirituality declined at the same time. So he raises up this young prophet. His name is Hosea. That word in Hebrew literally means salvation. Salvation. And that really figures into the story, doesn't it? Wow. To salvage. Yeah. To rescue. The word salvation. And so uh, as we see his name being very appropriate, uh, very appropriately applied, uh, he's got a tough, tough task ahead of him. God raised him up to speak to the spiritual adultery in the hard hearts of people who claim to know God and love him. It's one thing to proclaim truth to unbelievers who don't know anything about God. It's a whole other thing to proclaim the God's truth to hard-hearted people who claim to know him. Vast difference. Vast difference. So God asked the young prophet to do something absolutely crazy. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. If you have your Bibles, like to follow along. Otherwise, the verses are on the screen. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute. Go and marry a prostitute. Doesn't that sound interesting? Doesn't that sound intriguing? Go and marry a prostitute. Now, this is in the will and plan of God. Uh, he has a very specific prostitute that he's already picked out uh, for this occasion. And so he obeys and he marries her and they have kids together. And she starts fooling around again. This is what we looked at last week. Hosea chapter 2 verse 5. She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them. And she bought into the lie. As we often buy into the lie. That what we have is not necessarily as good as what we think we can have. Huh. So she says, I'm going back uh, to whence I've come. And all of this, of course, was an illustration of God's relentless love and forgiveness for us. And so we ended up last week with a beautiful promise of restoration. Hosea 2, 14 and 15. God is speaking to his people, his bride. I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will transform her vineyards. Well, I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. And I want to center on that phrase this morning. I will transform that valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Wow. That's some amazing, amazing uh, kind of stuff. Now, some of you may be thinking... Uh, well, does that really apply to me? God is going to transform my valley of trouble, the thing that I'm dealing with right now, somehow into a gateway of hope. Do you think God can do that? That's what faith is all about. It's not what we see, it's what we don't see. It's not the immediate, it's what God is doing in his eternal plan. So where does that need to happen for you? When it comes to relationships, where does God need to take that valley of trouble and transform it into a gateway of hope? Think about the relationship God is bringing to your mind right now. And if you even have a moment, you'll think about it. 
It's either someone raiding your own family, maybe someone seated beside you, maybe somebody in this room, maybe somebody that uh, is in your extended family or a neighbor or whoever it is. God will bring to mind that relationship right now that really is in kind of a valley of trouble. And he wants to transform that into a gateway of hope. What does that look like? What does that mean? Maybe in that relationship it's really messed up. You've done cruel and hurtful things. You've said some pretty mean-spirited stuff. You've rejected one another. You make up, you cry, you hug, you apologize, you cry some more. You let God break off some of the rough edges to make you more like Jesus. And you walk through the valley of trouble on the other side. When you walk through it together, there is God's offer of a gateway of hope. That's what he's saying here. If we take this principle and apply it to our lives, God is willing to offer to everyone a gateway of hope. What does that mean? Well, I know that some of the strongest marriages and relationships I have known, including my own, have walked through the valley of trouble. The strongest marriages and relationships I know have spent a lot of time in the valley of trouble. So don't avoid the valley of trouble. It's something we all have to journey through. Some of us will choose to ignore it. Some of us will deny it. Some of us will pretend it really isn't there and uh, be satisfied with just doing life. Others say, "Uh uh-uh, this valley of trouble is significant. I can learn from this. I can grow from this. How will I handle that valley of trouble? Hmm. And maybe it looks like addiction or betrayal or adultery or pornography or rejection or deceit or neglect. You put the word on it. Your valley of trouble in that relationship. Name it. Huh. But when those individuals choose to walk through it together with God leading the way, it will lead to a gateway of hope. That is the principle of this scripture. And sadly, sometimes we're going to walk to the gateway of hope alone. We want that other person to come with us, but we still have to head to the gateway of hope alone. We have to journey to the gateway of hope. Don't wait back in the valley of trouble. And so it's got to look like this. With one hand extended to God and the other person extended the hand that way when they're ready to come to the gateway of hope, not forcing them, not pulling them to the gateway of hope, but leading them to the gateway of hope. Understand what I'm saying? There's sometimes the other person in that relationship doesn't want anything to do with the gateway of hope. What do you do? What do we do? Sometimes we as Christians do some pretty dumb things to force them into the gateway of hope. doesn't work. Never will work. But it doesn't change the fact that we are to head toward that gateway of hope. we got a choice to make. We always have a choice to make. And we have to be ready to accept the other person right where they are. Right where they are. God's at work. We're not the Holy Spirit. We don't manipulate the outcome. That's God's job on the outcome. Our job is to move in obedience towards the gateway of hope. Now, some of us are in the valley of trouble right now. And when we're in the valley of trouble, uh, there's really little peace. Little peace. There's little hope. So what does the Bible talk about? Hope that doesn't disappoint. I really don't have any hope for this relationship. I just soon give up on it. Huh. I believe that things in perspective begins to change when we consider what the Bible says about forgiveness. When we choose then to forgive, that 
is an interesting journey. Forgiveness is a choice. Kindly mention that. Forgiveness is a choice, and this is what she was quoting from the words of the Apostle Paul. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone, anyone, everyone who offends you. Ooh. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you might want to consider forgiving others also. Is that what it says? So you must forgive others. This is a command of scripture. It is a foundational truth of Christianity that sets us apart. We must forgive others. You say, I, I, are you kidding me? You want me to, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know the pain that I carry from this. No, I don't. But we all have these moments in the valley of trouble and they're all painful and they can tear us apart. And it's brutal in that valley uh, of trouble. We've got to ask God to forgive us, first of all. And I really appreciate about what you said, Kylie, about that. I had to humble myself. I had to deal with my own pride first. I had to lay that down first. Then I was in a position to say, God, forgive me, first of all. Forgive me, chiefest and foremost of sinners. It's me. It's me. Then we can open the door to forgive others. Once we know God's forgiveness and his love just cascades over us, and then we can forgive ourselves. Sometimes that's the toughest person to forgive is yourself, isn't it? It's just hard. Hard. Once that process begins, God forgives us. We forgive ourselves, and then we're in a position where we can forgive others. Now, to say I can't forgive is not a true statement. To say I won't forgive is a true statement. Big difference there. Big, big difference there. To say I can't forgive is not true. Because the word tells us you must forgive others. You must. This is not some kind of suggestion to help your life be just problem free this is the divine edict the command absolutely necessary if we're going to fight for relationships you must forgive others Hosea fought for forgiveness now if you fast forward in the story we find Gomer's left him yet again there she goes God's going to say the most amazing thing to this man who's been nothing but faithful and been nothing but betrayed by this woman in my mind, I'd say to Gomer, get out of my life. Fed up with you. I had enough. you cheating on me again and again and again. I've given you every chance to stop this behavior. Get out of my house. Go. I've been faithful to you all through this process. I'm here with the kids. You're out partying. What's up with this? I'm done. I'm done. But God gives a very clear and challenging message to the betrayed spouse. Hang on to this now. This is found in Hosea 3.1. Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. What? Are you kidding me? You're telling me, Lord, to go love her while she's sleeping with other guys. Really? Seriously? No. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. This is pushing me to the absolute limit. I can't take this anymore. This is nonsense. This is nonsense. 
How can I forgive her? I despise her. I can't even look at her. How am I supposed to love and forgive her? She's betrayed me. Here's how. Hosea 3, the rest of that verse. Hosea 3, 1b. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. This is going to be an illustration of God's relationship with us. Hosea, love her to show my people how I am loving them right now, even though they don't deserve it. Hosea, love her as I am loving my people, even as they continue to worship the idols of this world. Show them how to do this. Show them how to do this. Hosea, love her as I am loving my people, even as they openly and consistently reject my goodness and my plan. They turn their back on me and despise me. Show them there is a different way. Show them there's a different way. Don't give up on it. Don't give up on it. So how do we love and forgive the same way that God has loved and forgiven us? That's where I have to end up when I know how much he has forgiven me in my waywardness, in my rebellion. It's risky for sure. When God tells Hosea this, there's no guarantees like, Hosea, go love your adulterous wife again. She's coming back to you. He doesn't say that. He just says, go and love her. There are no guarantees. Now think about this for a moment with me. There's no guarantees for us as well. There's no guarantees that that relationship isn't going to end up in disaster. Even if you do everything right, following God's edict and commands, there's no guarantee your marriage or that relationship is going to end up in a good place. I'm not living in some kind of fairyland dream world here, right? The Bible gives us no guarantees that this thing is going to come out the way that we want it to come out. So we can put it on a Hallmark picture card and say, oh my goodness, isn't this wonderful? And I guarantee you, not every relationship is going to end up like this one. Still together, still fighting. At least for now, but that's not the point. The point is, are we going to obey God in this moment in what he's asking us to do right now? Even though we can't control the outcome, God is very, very, very clear on what we should do. Love and forgive as we've been loved and forgiven. That's what we must do. To love as we've been loved, to forgive as we've been forgiven. The outcome is God's, not ours. And this isn't some kind of weird Christian promise that we pluck out of Scripture and say, oh, if I just do this and this and this, it's all going to come out peachy. I'm not saying that, right? But what I am saying, obedience moves us towards that gateway of hope from the valley of trouble. Now, for Hosea, that meant forgiveness was a lifestyle. It was a lifestyle. Repeatedly, God says, go get your wife. Go get her again. Oh my goodness, I gotta go get her again? What's wrong with this woman? Why did you have me marry her? This is just insane, right? Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Nope. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. Hosea. Forgive her. 
keep forgiving her. Now, that doesn't mean that we just let someone walk all over us. That's not what we're saying. That's what Kylene said. It's not, no, we just don't forgive and forget and move on and pretend everything's okay now. It doesn't work that way. Nor does it mean that we trust that person again. Trust is something that's built and earned and rebuilt again and again and again, correct? Right? But we must forgive others. It doesn't mean, well, here's what it does mean. That no matter what the other person does, no matter what the other person does, we're going to choose to do what's right, even though there's no guarantee attached to that. It's not a one-year guarantee. It's not a lifetime guarantee. There are no guarantees. These are relationships. They get messy. They get weird, right? But that doesn't change the fact that no matter what they do, I know how I should respond. I choose to do what's right in God's sight. That's the hard part of the story. There's nothing easy about it because I can promise you when it gets tough, most every friend that's speaking into your life, whether it's face-to-face via text or Facebook, is going to tell you, dump the bum, break it off, get divorced, let them go. They're bad for you. It may be that God would say it's not time to give up yet. It's not time to forgive. Or it is time to forgive. Stay in there. Hang in there. What is God saying? My friends all have counsel, all right? Like Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar coming to Job. Uh, maybe I don't do Okay, right? Well-intentioned friends. But what is God saying? You see, marriage and relationships are really, really, really important to God. We've got to fight for it. And my goal is not to bring condemnation to those who are divorced or who have broken relationships. We all live in that world. But there's times when we're going to do everything right and we're going to end up divorced. It happens. It happens. Or we're going to do everything right and the relationship is still broken, still silent. Still antagonistic because the other person quits. It may never be that any of us quit on it until God says, okay. And believe me, he doesn't say that very often. And I'm glad he doesn't because he never gave up on me. And he never gave up on you. And he won't give up. He won't. Oh, my. Oh, my. What I'm saying is fight to do the right thing, to honor God. Fight. Now, these kinds of things bring up a lot of emotion. From time to time over the years, people have come to sin hear me, and they said some dumb stuff, like, I don't know if we can come to you, because I'm not sure you'll really understand. I watch your life and you guys, and you just don't seem to have the problems. You don't seem to have any problems. <laughs> really? We've had to keep our heads above water, fight to do it for many years. Raising five kids on a limited salary, watching our oldest son succumb to drug and alcohol addiction, end up in County Orange, a daughter who was sexually abused repeatedly while while Cindy and I are out visiting for the church. All the criticism, all the spiritual pressure, all the hurt, broken relationships, all the grueling schedule, do you really think that what we've been through all these years hasn't been really, really tough on our marriage? 43 years, we've walked over and over and over again through the valley of trouble. I spent time there. 
and over and over and over again, there's always been a door of hope. There is always a gateway of hope. There always is. God is so faithful. But let's get to the end of our story. God told Hosea to, again, go after your wife, your immoral wife. So we're reading 3-2. So I bought her back. He didn't say, I brought her back. He said, I bought her back. I bought her. So he purchases Gomer, again, out of prostitution. He pays off the mama son or the pimp, buys her back again on a profit salary. That was probably a pretty tough thing to do. So he pays for or redeems his wife, which is precisely what God did for us. The word redemption means to buy back for the payment of a price, to buy back for the payment of a price. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. You do understand that. To buy back for the payment of a price. And even while we were spiritually prostituting ourselves to all the gods of this world, even though while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the truth of Scripture. His shed blood to purchase us back demonstrates his love that he has for you and for me again and again and again and again. He's always demonstrating his love. Even though yet while we were yet sinners... He keeps demonstrating that incredible love that he has for us. We don't know how this relationship ended. I kind of wish I did. We don't know from this story or from history whether Gomer came back. What do you think? Think she came back? Or think she just kept drifting, drifting? How many of you think she came back that we'll see her in heaven? Okay, a few tentative answers. How many think she just went back to her old lifestyle and just kept up her nonsense right till the end? Eh, interesting. Very interesting. I would hope, I would like to think in my mind that she came back. I, I like good endings to some of these stories, right? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, the way I see it, how could she resist that relentless love? I mean, at some point, wouldn't it just wear her out? Because that's what God did for me. He just kept coming and coming. It's my story. And when I consider what Jesus did for me on the cross, my only response is to surrender to him. To offer him my life. When we get what he did for us and grasp how his heart breaks when we continue to commit spiritual adultery against the God who loves us, what other kind of response could we have than to say, it's too soon to give up. Say something. I don't want to give up. I want to fight for this. Now, many are wondering, you know, I feel like I'm in the valley of trouble. And your valley of trouble is going to look different than anybody else's. And maybe it's the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe it's a valley of desperation or depression. The valley of rejection or addictions, or a struggling marriage, or it's financial hardship, or maybe you're in the valley of fear, or the valley of self-doubt, or the valley of guilt, or the valley of shame, or the valley of unforgiveness, of abandonment. I don't, just put, put whatever name on it you want. But we're all walking through that valley, if we're honest. The valley of trouble, it's there. May God guide each of us to his gateway of hope. And again, there are no guarantees about how the story's going to end. 
There are no guarantees of, about how things will turn out except to know that God will never leave us and that he will walk through us in the valley. That I promise you. He will never leave you, abandon you, forsake you. And it may seem like the whole world has, but he never will. He will walk through that valley with you. Slowly but surely guiding you that gateway of hope. That gateway of hope, it's there. And you know what? God may have put you and me in that valley just to get our attention. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't he good? He put us in that valley with great purpose to get our attention, to wake us up. There's nowhere else to turn. There's no more outcomes to manipulate. It's over. All we can do is say, it's time to surrender again, Lord. I give up. You win again. You don't know where else to turn. He's saying, I love you so much. I'm willing to purchase your ticket out of the valley of trouble. I will redeem you because I love you. You can't get out or escape by yourself. So I sent my son Jesus to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And I will lead you through the valley to the gateway of hope. And understand, when I say that gateway of hope seems kind of allegorical, some kind of uh, mysterious mysterious kind of thing. No, the valley of hope, the gateway of hope is very concrete. What's his name? What's always the right answer at Southside? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The gateway of hope is Jesus. Here's what he said. I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved, salvaged, rescued. He is the gateway of hope. We're not leading you to some kind of weird thing, right? In the Chronicles of Narnia. No, we're not saying that. He's leading us to the gateway of hope. The gateway of hope is a person. His name is Jesus. And he offers us hope. He is the way, the truth. He is the life. And so that gateway of hope is always a fresh encounter with a person of Jesus Christ. Make sense to you? And he's always leading us back home, back through the gateway of hope. And he's taking us back to Jesus, our first love. Friend in Jesus, we are forgiven. We are free. In Jesus, we have the power to fight to forgive others who have hurt us and wounded us deeply. And life can do that. In Jesus, we're free to fight for what matters most. What is God saying to you right now about that relationship? What is he saying to you right now about that relationship that you've kind of been processing as we've been talking these last few minutes? What does he want you to know about this? What would it look like for you and me to respond tomorrow to what God is asking us to do. What would it look like? What is our response as we head toward the gateway of hope? That relationship may have been in that valley of trouble for a long time, but the Lord's just kind of putting his finger right on it and said, it's time to head the gateway of hope it's time to bring this to jesus and you have done that before and you've done it many times before and you're going to keep doing it right even as you grab that other reach out to the other person right where they are when they're ready when they're ready you're heading to the gateway of hope because you're not going to carry that burden that belongs with god right 
but you're there in this posture, right? Lord, take my hand. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm trusting you, but I'm headed to the gateway of hope. I'm headed to Jesus, and I hope they come too. I hope they come too. And I'm going to do everything that I can to make this right. I am going to forgive. I'm going to humble myself, let go of my pride. And I'm going to do everything I can to make this relationship work. I'm so proud of you guys. So really proud of you guys. It challenges my own heart. Thank you. Church, let's pray together, shall we? Father, in this moment... Would you speak to us as only you can speak to us? We have gathered in your name to say and to sing, you are the only one who is worthy. And if we truly believe that, we will leave this place having heard from you about what to do in that relationship that you're speaking to us about right now. It's risky and it's hard, but in our heart we know it's right and we know it's the right time. Oh God, help us. Help us in this moment. We can see the gateway of hope. We can see Jesus. We can see the restoration, the reconciliation, the healing. Even though there's no guarantees, Lord, we know that that's your will. That all be reconciled that all come to the truth, that we all live in freedom. That's your will. And I'm grateful, Father, for those who will choose to obey. Start with my own heart. God, give me the courage to obey what you're saying, to respond to your good news. Show me, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for us, Jesus, that you are the gate. And we choose to step through that gate to be rescued. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And together all God's people said, Amen. Amen.